The opinions and views expressed in the OC Show with Cameron Jackson do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. Welcome, everybody. It is the OC Show right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am your host, Cameron Jackson. Getting into it real quick today, I have a special guest in studio with me today. Before I get to that, though, just a couple of things. Actually, one thing really in particular. Uh... I don't have any upcoming interviews in the next couple of weeks as of yet. That may change. Always check my website, www.theocshow889.blogspot.com. And, um, but at the end of the month, August 26th, you don't want to forget, uh, lose sight of that one because that is the sheriff. The new sheriff will be in studio to talk about all of the changes, and the sheriff's department will be very exciting. Now, as uh, many of you know, I have been a big uh, follower of Irvine politics, which is fitting because we are right here in the uh, beautiful city of Irvine on the beautiful UCI campus. And so there's always a lot going on in the city of Irvine. And um, I've had this guest on my show in the past. Um, She is Christina Shea. She is currently a councilwoman for the city of Irvine. And she is going to be running for mayor. And she's been with the city now for several years. And she really knows her stuff inside and out about city business. So uh, welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here, Cameron. Thank you for coming. I do appreciate it. So right now you are going to be running for mayor this november correct yes i will be and you've been mayor in the past is that correct yes i ran for mayor in 1996 after my first term as city councilwoman in the city and um i won by a landslide i won every precinct in the city of irvine and then i ran unopposed two years later and then i retired in 2000 for two years so are there term limits currently in irvine yes there are um i've always um uh, and yes in fact Yes, there are. They are, but they're sort of revolving term limits. You right. can run for council for two terms, which would be eight years. Then you can run for mayor, which would be two terms, which would be four years. And then you can um, run again, which is problematic. It's something that I really want to address once I've been elected. I think we need to tighten up those term limits so that it's not a revolving door. Do you think that... Well, okay, let's back up a second. There's currently, the council's kind of been set up for the last several years with a three two majority the three being larry agram beth crom and suki kang yes and then it's been you and stephen Choi in the minority and the bookends yes uh, yes Mm -hmm. and uh, i think before that was it chris mears and yourself that were kind of the bookends no it was interesting because chris mears it was chris mears beth crom and larry agram and then i was elected in 2002 and i believe mike ward was on the council at that time Um, but chris mears had sort of going through a transition with that three-man majority. And after a year or so, when I was on the council, he started changing his um, position a little bit, becoming more independent. Uh, he's a very ethical individual, so I found it very interesting that he started moving away from the three-man majority, especially about issues that were, that were not, in my opinion, um, as ethical as they should have been. And so I, I found an ally in Chris Mears, and now he's my very good friend. And... Currently, the city, there's only, I mean, this is, for the most part, the city runs pretty well, and we don't have a lot of huge issues in this city. We have a beautiful city. Irvine is probably one of the top, as we all know, the top city to live in. We've been named by Money Magazine the fourth best city to live in in the United States. And it's the safest city. It's one of the safest cities for the last four years. When I was the mayor, we were the safest city for, I think, at least three years, as I recall. So um, people love the city, and a lot of credit really goes to the Irvine company. Uh, They um, Certainly, we've had issues with them, but being a master plan city, to be able to master plan an entire community, 
community creates a situation where your roads and your homes and the integration of the lower income housing with the higher income earners um, creates um, a very interesting dynamic so that in fact even from a social um, position it, it really creates a city that works very well and it helps with the policing or geo-policing and it makes it just a very um, um, a wonderful destination and a place to live for for individuals. Well, you know, my family lives in uh, you Irvine. You live it, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, did too. I, I mean, that was like when I came to Orange County. I said, "Where do I want to live?" Irvine. And yes. you know, it was funny because my wife always said, "Yes, but Irvine is so perfect. Everything is <laughs> everything's well manicured. There's nothing that's out of out of whack." And I said, "Yes." And 30 years Except from now, our city council. <laughs> well, <laughs> yes, I digress. <laughs> um, but and but that is. That is the focus of this conversation today yes. because the city itself seems to run very well. However, we have big issues in this city as far as the city council is concerned. Yes, we do. And uh, first and foremost, let's talk about the Great Park because that seems to be uh, right in the forefront. That's what everybody over at the Register is talking about. Um, talk about, give the listener kind of a brief synopsis of the Great Park in in the past, how it started up sure. and where we're at now. Well, you know, I've been around a long time. I was elected in 1992, right at the time they were closing El Toro. So I have a long history of being on the forefront of fighting the airport and traveling to D.C. over and over again. And we were always with the understanding that it would be very, very difficult to overturn the county's proposed airport. But over time, with community groups and the city's involvement, um, we were able to, with Measure W in 2002, we were able, and I worked on that even as a private citizen before I became, I was reelected to council, um, we were able to take that park concept, sell it to the county, and um, that is how we ended up having the success that we do, is to create a, a, a great metropolitan park proposal instead of an international airport. And I know that um, I was looking at some former documentation. I remember um, Larry Agron came out in around 2000. We had had an initial proposal, and he was touting this, taking, that's the first time we'd ever have council members censured by a council because we had looked in closed session at these initial numbers. And the initial numbers said that we could build the Great Park for $200 million and be making $20 million of revenues. Well, of course, we all knew that that was very um, preliminary, and of course it's turned out that the park's going to probably cost us about $1.4 billion. We really have no understanding what the revenues were going to be. So um, we started out, and we have started out with a wonderful plan to build a great park. Everyone has been very supportive of it. Um, it, but it, it's transitioned after we created the, the um, corporation into a real political football, and we have a three-man majority on our city council now that overturned the the position that we are going to vest the Great Park into a full operating corporation, uh, that we had our own audit, we have our own, you know, bank account, and they overturned that with a resolution a year and a half ago. So this was what was set up initially? Yes, in, I think it was around so, 2003, we so set the, up a corporation, so nine-member board. So the idea was that the city council got the Great Park set up, Yes. but that there would be outside oversight we, that we, outside people would be running it not the board because it was supposed to be a ca uh, a county park well yes actually the city council majority we all agreed that we would sit on this because we had annexed the property it was within our city limits but that we wanted to add four more board members to balance out this council majority to make sure that we did have orange county representation 
but with the understanding that this great park corporation would function as a legitimate corporation. They no longer do that. I mean, after what Beth Crom, Suki Kang, and Larry Agrin proposed, they created a resolution that basically um, stopped the vesting that we were in the process of. I think we'd spent like $44,000 um, of legal fees to fully incorporate the board and separate the finances from the city. So there was somewhat of a firewall. You still had right. the five-member okay. majority, but you had much more independent um, board of directors that could make um, recommendations that would be um, something that weren't as we have today. It's just a recommendation that it's like, it's like a commission now. It's um, really almost like a non-functioning um, um, board of directors. They, we certainly have issues that we deal with and we review, but it's really the three-man majority on the city council that make all the final decis decisions that go on the Great Park. So what, how, many, how many people sit on the Great Park board now? There's no, nine members, five council members, and then there's four independent members. But they're not independent because they're all Larry's friends. <laughs> well, so that's that's the, the problem. We have Walkie Ray and Miguel Polito from Santa Ana and Bill Kogerman, who used to be a very solid um, Republican and anti-airport um, advocate. We worked together in the 90s, and now he's 100% working with the three council majority, supports all the all those Democrats on the council, not to be partisan, but that's where he's gone. And they, they just all, you know, are, are friends. And you really have no independent opinion except perhaps from Stephen and myself. So essentially what you're saying is that this huge undertaking that's going to cost us 1.4 billion dollars mm -hmm. is being that's in today's dollars is 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 being run by the council by three man majority uh, Beth Suki and Larry they make all the final decisions the three man majority and and the, the sad thing is is that and the scary thing is, is none of them work they don't they've all they tout the fact that they work full time at city hall they have no job and to run a, a public works project of this magnitude, you really need individuals that have a business experience that understand what it is to run a business. And w really what we've seen over the last several years, the Great Park's being run as a political uh, football, and it, it, we're spending so much money on um, PR, and it really is to promote these three people when they're up for re-election. A lot of the the nuances that go on have to do with that and it's you know very frustrating that's why dick sim left the board yeah, i was just going to bring his name up dick sim he was a very well respected uh planner of sorts well he he helped plan the entire spectrum in, in many major projects throughout the united states for the irvine company and we had lunch yesterday and he was saying you know what he said we've spent 30 million dollars we awarded almost a, almost a 30 million dollar contract for the great park design team to start our schematic design to look at the overall master plan design of the park and when i was talking to dick about that he was sort of chuckling he said you know i could have gone out to the the top um, engineering firm and architectural firm and we could have designed a master plan for the great park for two million dollars and and i believe him so um i mean it, it's the issue of in my mind, of mis fiscal mismanagement is um, beyond um, comprehension what we're seeing over at the park. Dick Sim agrees. Many people agree with us. Now, uh, what are we voting on in November as far as the Great Park is concerned? Well, this is very interesting. Uh, <laughs> first of all, Beth and Suki and Larry put on initiatives on the ballot. First of all, it helps them raise money for their, their elections because you can give an unlimited amount of money. 
But what they've put on is this resolution they passed to basically gut the Great Park Corporation, allow this uh, um, three-man majority to run and operate the entire park, and they're the final say-so. And then within it, they're talking about different projects that we're looking at, feasibility studies that we've worked on. So they've kind of thrown in a whole mix and menu that they want the public to vote on. But what's, what's very interesting, it, it's a four-year um, sunset. So in four years, <laughs> this whole resolution could um, be overturned by a council, I think, of four-fifth votes. I have to reread it again. But but if they're really interested in getting uh, what the public's opinion is on the Great Park, I think they should have, and I brought this up, they should have brought forward the design, the master plan in concept where we are today and ask the public, do you support this or not? Um, it, it really is just sort of a, it sounds to me like a last-minute menu they threw together just to get people to support the Great Park, to give them an ability to talk about everything they're doing at the Great Park, sort of a vehicle for them politically. And, and we're voting on this? Yes, we're voting I, on it. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy. It's hard to um, know what we're really voting on, except yeah. we're voting on that we are no longer having a corporation that functions independently, but now they're recommending body. We're also, and that they are the three people overseeing it. Uh, and the general public is not going to read all of this. I mean, they're just going to. But why even, I, I, I guess I'm a little confused is that we passed Measure W, the, the Great Park is up and running. Why mm-hmm. spend the time to even put this on the ballot? What's the, what's. Well, and plus the fact is after you vote on it, four years it's going to sunset. So it's just a political vehicle for them to be able to use to raise money from outside sources of unlimited funds. So instead of the 410 that we can collect um, as far as independent candidates, uh, uh, they, can, they can raise ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 and then promote whatever they want to say about okay. the Great Park. If you're just now joining us, uh, this is the OC Show. You're listening to KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Um, my guest today is Christina Shea. She is a councilwoman for the city of Irvine. She's running for mayor. Um, we're all going to vote uh, in November. I'm not connecting the dots here with this proposal and how they can uh, raise unlimited funds. What, what, what well, is- it's called an initiative, and an initiative allows, the way it's structured, it allows um, individuals to give beyond a local amount to an individual candidate. For that, for that initiative? Yeah, and then they use that initiative to promote themselves. So oh, that's so- it's similar to their hometown voter guide that's right. now gone, okay. you know, I, they've buried it in the, the deep, dark ocean somewhere. I guess their um, finance... Ed Dornan is dead. Well, he died, but then also they had... um, I think their treasurer has left the country because they were... She was being investigated for something we found out. So it's it's always quite shady and interesting. In fact, their newest um, campaign treasurer when they filed the hometown voter guide before they finally put it to to rest, um, and I believe it's still gone. I'm not sure. Hopefully it is. Um, They, on that um, voter guide... The, their new treasurer stated that Ed Dornan's uh, wife was the owner of it now, and she'd been dead for two months. Well, that's illegal. It's a felony. You can't do that, but that's what she filed. So I think someone's filed some complaints with the FPPC and the state attorney general about that. Now, getting to where are we at with the CEO then now for the Great Park? Do we have one? There's a, a, a Mike Elzey that apparently is the front runner, or has he been hired? Where are we Well, at? Th- this is a very, I kind of want to give you a real quick history. We've had four CEOs for the Great Park in four years after each year. I mean, we fit, there was a story about Marty Bryant, which I had no idea about. Uh, the press came out, sh- shared that he had some drug problems, some some issues, and that they were concerned we hadn't done a background check on him. And our first city manager um, was our first CEO when she left the council um, for obvious reasons. I won't get into it. 
Um, and then the second CEO was there while at Chrysler for a year. And then we had uh, Marty. And then, of course, we went out to this international search, which Dick Sim and I wanted to do for two years. And I was very excited that finally the board of directors thought to do this. Well, we went through this whole process, and um, we go into the the, um, the meeting and to go over all these, and only one resume was brought forward. One candidate was brought forward. It was a very good candidate. I mean, I thought he was good, but I kept asking the, the CEO search um, representative, where's the top five? I mean, we had 150 resumes. Where's the top five? You always look at for that type of position. You want to see a comparison. Well, no, we were told this is the only person, so they chose this person. And then he ended up not taking the job, which I st thought was kind of odd. And then they promoted an inside candidate who had applied, um, who was working for the Great Park. Since then, we'd gotten background information. He'd been let go or asked to leave um, the, the uh, L.A. County because of some audit mismanagement problems. I had some calls from staff that had worked with him. And it turns out that, of course, through the paper and the research that this gentleman did at the L.A. Times, that this first candidate was Larry Agron's good friend. Now, it's very interesting that we didn't have a chance to look at anybody else but this one candidate. Um, so anyway, we went through this process. Stephen Choi and I started really questioning how this process, you know, proceeded. It was very, um, very troublesome. We ended up having to file a lawsuit personally, you know, uh, to try to get, get the resumes. They finally settled. We were going to go to court on a Tuesday, I believe, and after three or four proposals, they said they wanted to settle. We got everything we wanted because the state for corporate, corporation, directors, and even in our bylaws, that any director can ask for any documentation, any time, and they have to be given to it, given it to them. Larry and the team kept arguing, well, this is privacy. I mean, this we can't share their names, these candidates. But look what happened at the county when the sheriff process was going forward. They did everything in the public. It was transparent. It was open. All the resumes, everyone who applied for a job through the county of Orange um, for that the, the new sheriff that was just chosen, they weren't hiding behind closed doors and picking one candidate. And it just surprisingly happened to be someone, the chairman's best friend. So anyway, we, we looked at all of those. There's 10 candidates that should have been chosen should have been reviewed and as I was told these never came forward to the the subcommittee why I have no idea but so now then there was a vote after all this shenanigans going on that we would suspend the CEO search till January and in the Times article Councilmember Agron Chairman Agron stated very clearly he didn't want to make this political year a political um, game for the CEO process so he suspended we all voted to suspend this process till January 2009 so the other day I get a call, and all of a sudden we have the search committee that's been reconstituted. They were not, I don't think, legally supposed to do this because the board of directors has to, you know, reopen up the discussion. And now they're going to be appointing this Mike Elsie who came in. He was one of the candidates, came as a deputy CEO during this whole process. The LA, I, I really don't have a whole lot of background. I know that he served on the Golden Gate authority not as a top ceo but i think he was a second level third level you know individual similar like the assistant city manager and the la times says the most claim to fame he has is he built a garage structure well we're looking to build a 1.4 billion dollar public works project we need to have the best and the brightest overseeing this project and the concern that it's a continual political football it's just it's just unbelievable I want to get into the privacy policy, but I want to wait, or the privacy ordinance, because I think it segues into what we're talking about here with sure. uh, with the resumes and keeping those quiet. Okay. Um, but before we get into that, and I want to do that after the break so we can, okay. we, we can uh, take a break before we get there. But 
you know, this figure of $1.4 billion, um, where's the money going to come from? As, a, as an Irvine resident, am I going to have a raising of taxes in some way, shape, or form, or a, um, some sort of fees uh, levied against me in some way, shape, or form? How is it going to get paid for? Well, you know, it's just sort of a catch-22. The, the issue for most urban residents that we're very pleased we have a park. We're so glad we don't have an airport in our backyard run by the county. So from that standpoint, we're all, all on board. I would say 85% of residents in Irvine. But the fear is, and it's real, we have a council now that has basically taken away that firewall. You talk about liability issues. You talk about all kinds of things that now the city of Irvine directly oversees. Um, we, through the development agreement with Lenore Corporation, the Great Park and three payments received $200 million. Uh, we also did a financial um, kind of a shell game, taking selling land to the RDA, the, the redevelopment agency, and there's a loan for $134 million that over time can be paid back when the housing market turns around for only operations and maintenance, not to build the park, but for operations and maintenance. That's going to, we, we're going to so much more money, um, but at least that's a start. Councilman Ragren is always stating to the public, we have $292 million. Well, we don't. We have $134 million in a loan that probably isn't going to be starting to be paid back in at least 10 years. Um, we have gone through approximately $115 million of the $200 million, which includes we have revenues that come in from um, RV storage that we have out at the park and, mm. and you know, our trash collectors and that type of thing. So we, we are getting probably 6 to $7 million a year in revenues. Um, but in fact, of the $200 million, we have... Uh, probably start as of July 30, uh, I'm sorry, June 30th of this year, we, we're starting out this fiscal year with uh, re, uh, about $100 million left. Now, with the fixed costs and revenues coming in, by the end of the year, if we don't spend another dollar, we're going to have about $98 million to spend. The big problem that we have is there's no infrastructure over there. There is no sewers. There is no wa running water. This whole preview park is a temporary preview park. It's fun, and they've made a big to-do about the preview park. I think it costs $25 million to build a temporary park. Um, but there's no bathrooms. There's no running water. There's no electricity. You can't build a park without your infrastructure first, and this is what we're trying to get a handle on. Um, uh, Lennar is responsible to build up to $200 million of that, but we don't have really the numbers of what it's going to cost. I was told it could be between three and $400 million, the park and what Lennar's process. Where are we going to get that money when we only have $98 million left? We don't have it. So I, th I think it's quite interesting that we have a, a lot of political spin going on. Um, and, and the concern is that so many of the proposals that the council majority want is this all-green passive park. And you can't run a park when everything's all green and passive. If you look at Mason Park in the city of Irvine, I think, I don't know, it was at, what, 400 acres? I'm not really sure how. It's fairly large. No one's ever there during the, during the week. I mean, just you almost see no one there except on a weekend or there's a company picnic because there's really no interactive activities. So um, it's a huge long-term project. Uh, I think that we have spent way too much money on contracts. We have very rich contractors over there at the Great Park making a lot of money. And like I said, as Dick Sims said, we could have, we could have designed the master plan for $2 million, and instead we've spent close to $30 million for a th It'll be 30% of the full schematic design, and it's just, it's, it's a way, I think the, the financial end of it is just a, a big waste of money. And so I, to answer your question, I think Irvine residents need to be very concerned. Uh, I am. Because I, I don't I, know where the money is going to yeah, go. I, I'm a little worried about it myself. Oh, I am too. 
Um, and one of these things that um, Larry Agron has said that kind of always makes me chuckle is, and I don't know, but it seems to be a scare tactic of um, s- claiming that we don't want the Board of Supervisors to take over the, the Great Park. Uh, Number one, it's in the city of Irvine. I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, uh, but the the notion to me seems a little laughable because I don't think the Board of Supervisors wants wants anything to do with it. I think it's our our albatross hanging around our neck at this point. Yeah, it's a great idea. We all think it's a wonderful idea, but... You know what? You have to have very experienced people running a public works project of, the, of this, you know, caliber. And there's so many times votes come in, and we're we're voting for this and changing this and doing this based on some of the board members' desires to get something going sooner rather than later. Uh, really, not just running it as a business. Is really focused on put the political aspects away. Stop marketing it so much. Telling people, oh, we're going to have houses. I know Suki Kang said a couple years ago, we're going to have. 2008, we're going to have all these houses. Well, of course we don't. I, I just don't think it's a good thing to be making all these promises to people um, with such a large project, and we really start getting into the nuances of understanding what the real what the real issues are and the real financial costs are, which we still don't even have a handle on. Every time I've asked for the business plan that we started putting together way back in 2003, and Dick at Lunch brought that to me yesterday, we still don't have a business plan that's really, it's just kind of all over the board. You really don't see the revenue numbers with the expenditures properly. We don't really have a great handle on what the infrastructure cost undergrounding is going to be. And until you get that in, you can't do anything. You can't build anything until your undergrounding is in there. And uh, we haven't even had a discussion about the cost and how this is going to go. If you're just now joining us, my guest today is Irvine City Councilwoman Christina Shea. Um, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is the OC Show, and I am Cameron Jackson. Um, about 5.30 now, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we get back, let's talk about the privacy ordinance. That's a very interesting one that I think we should all listen in about. Uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is the OC Show right here at KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. The opinions and views expressed in the OC Show uh, are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. So uh, take that. My guest today is Irvine Councilwoman Christina Shea. She has been in studio for the past half an hour talking about the Great Park, and now we're going to shift gears a little bit, and we're going to get into the next ordinance that is coming up uh, for our vote in November, and that would be the privacy ordinance. Now, let's talk about that. What is this privacy ordinance all about? Why is it that all of a sudden privacy is such a big deal in Irvine? Well, I think it's interesting that Larry Beth and Suki really don't, can't find too much to argue about my political position. So I think it's really motivated to attack me. And it was brought forward because um, my aide, we all have aides, all five council members have aides, and they have regular meetings. My aide called me and said, you know that several of the council members have newsletters that go out, electronic newsletters. Many elected officials do that. I said, oh, really? I said, well, how, how would I do that? So we talked to our staff member. Our staff member, we have several emails he sent to my staff showing that um, how I would go through a process to get these emails. So he suggested that I contact the city clerk, which I did. City clerk said, oh, yeah, we can get you that, um, the emails to help you set up your newsletter, and you run it through the city here. And it was authorized by the city manager, authorized by the city attorney. I guess the Great Park Corporation PR team was doing this, uh, had the disc, and also the Conservancy, Great Park Conservancy had it, sending out emails to everybody. So it, it wasn't anything new, no big deal, as far as I knew. And next thing I know, they put this on the agenda, and they tried to create an issue 
that I was using because there was something, one disclaimer in the community services department in one of the emails that said that if you come and, you know, file for a class or whatever, that will protect your privacy. And then there was always, there was this exclusion with the Public Records Act would not allow you to, that we couldn't hide it. But most, generally speaking, everything at the city is transparent and open. You, the Public Records Act does not allow you as a public agency to be secretive, to hide anything. So they took this small little statement, Larry did, in four council meetings and try and Beth Crom and Suki trying to make it sound like I did something sinister. Like I took these emails and I, in fact, I set up a, my staff did, I was sending out 500 emails to newsletters to everyone. Um, never thought a thing about it. Well, um, and we kept questioning Suki because he was sending out birthday cards to everyone. Well, it turns out he went and bought a whole list of 90,000 was attacking me at the council meeting, got 90,000 emails at the Registrar of Voters that he's been using for birth, has birth dates, um, their voting record, all kinds of things that I didn't even receive at the city. So that started it. And Larry, of course, said that he wanted to make sure that uh, he was protecting everybody's right to privacy at the city. and that He was protecting our children from pornographers. For pornographers. And then his friend Todd Gall- Gallinger got up and stated that You know, people could be using this to try to market Viagra. I mean, I don't know what these two men talked to each other about, but it was very troubling to me. I thought, Jesus, that's your evening conversation. Um, So, yes, that's what this was all about. They wanted to put, so they brought forward an uh, ordinance that they want to put on the ballot to protect everybody's privacy at City Hall. But the bottom line is probably unconstitutional. I'm sure there's all kind of issues, legal issues in regard to this. Well, First of all, a couple questions. One, how many instances do we know of that somebody has come in and used that information in a malicious fashion? We have no information whatsoever. And in fact, the only... No information or no known No known, known information. Instances. No, not that we know of. That no one, you know, has taken the email addresses or taken any private email. I mean, the thing is that when you go to a... When you come to City Hall, if you send a letter... You send in, call someone on a voicemail. If you use an email, um, those are not private. I mean, generally speaking, they're, they're public knowledge. And I think most of us that have email, we understand. You send an email out, it goes in the Internet right. universe, and you, it could go to anybody. And I, I think anybody that uses the Internet today understands that. Um, I think what's very interesting is that the only instant in, that I know in the city of Irvine that there's been a violation of someone's privacy it was when Larry Agrin, when I called up, when my daughter had had a drug problem back in 1999, I called up and left a voicemail on a council member's cell phone that was paid by the city, a city phone, and council member Agrin and his wife took this information to the press. And it's, it's just so interesting that he wants to be the father of, and the protector of privacy, but he's the only one that I've ever known of that violates someone's privacy. So I, I find that that's quite interesting about What's, his posturing in, in regard to this. I, I'm seeing a pattern um, with Larry. Now, so essentially you take 500, email, 500 names and you email them a letter. Yes, a, a, a newsletter. A newsletter based mm-hmm. on city city um, issues it, it, yes it just it's, in it's fact, not a it campaign can't be, letter it, it can't not. be political in fact the city staff overviews uh, oversees your um, email before it goes out and they authorize it i'm supposed to send it to them my staff does they review it make sure there's no political content 
It's all based on, you know, just factual and information. The, and the other, and you just started doing that recently. Uh -huh, it was like six, seven months ago. Okay, and then the other council members, they do this as well? But they didn't get the list. I think they had their own list, but I didn't understand that because my, I, they did not ask the city for the city's list. Right, but there's no law that you broke in asking oh, for that Oh, not at all. List. The city attorney authorized it because he, he gave the, whole, the same list to the um, Conservancy and to the Great Park Corporation PR. So he's, he oversees he so Essentially, this it. became an issue because you were doing it. Well, they made it an issue, yes. They, they thought, well, we've got to find something to run against because uh, they keep calling me a lobbyist, and I'm not, and right. they lie let, about that. Well, so. let, let, let's go back on that then. Mm -hmm. So back in 2006, we had the privacy order, or not the, um, excuse me. Um, it was um, ethics um, ordinance. The ethics yes. ordinance. <laughs> All right. And that, at that time, were you running um, for a position in 06? To, yes, in 2006, I ran for council. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for council. So we had the ethics ordinance, and mm -hmm. if I... Am I wrong in saying that that was something to do with lobbying? Yes, it was, it's a lot. Well, it's an ethics ordinance. It have several different components to it, but there's this one section about lobbying. Now, and they, their claims were that you were a lobbyist. Well, and what was interesting is they brought this up at the council, and I was really sideswiped because I didn't, Larry just pulled out information. He downloaded my website that I created in 1999 before I left office. And what I was doing is independent consulting, but on that page, I said I could offer to do, you know, um, IT service, which my son was doing for me. I offered to do um, entitlement service, but I didn't do it. it was just, I didn't know how to do it, so I was going to outsource that. So, um, but the, the interesting thing is no one ever contacted me. <laughs> kind of embarrassing, but they didn't. So, but I, I had my website up, and I never really used it because I went into real estate in 2002 because I, you know, was running this, you know, was... Um, not working at the time I was the mayor, and I had to kind of regroup and recreate myself, so I went and got my real estate license. So, so that was what my major focus was, was doing real estate, and I did do some consulting, business consulting, but I never did any kind of lobbying. But he went in and looked at my webpage and called me a lobbyist, and to this day, he won't let up on it. You're a lobbyist, you're a lobbyist, you're a lobbyist. And so... At the time, did you vote for or against the ethics ordinance? At the time, I voted against a, po a component of it. I tried to amend it to make it a little bit tighter, as I recall. We, there was some amendment. I don't have it in front of me right now. But then I opposed it because I, at the time I realized they were just doing this to create a campaign issue. Um, consequently, and, and then consequently after this, during this process, I sat down with the city attorney and he explained to me what the lobbyist really meant. And I said, well, that's not what I do. I do business consulting. And so when it came back to us um, in just recently in June. Let's, and that's the measure H. That was measure H. Okay, yes. So wait, let's back up then. Okay. So we got the, we, so you're running in 06 mm -hmm. and they have this, uh, ethics ordinance that they bring up, mm -hmm. right? They're yes. calling you a lobbyist. Mm -hmm. and, and, and unfit for public office. And, 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 and fit, right. Mm -hmm. So we've got that, and that doesn't knock you out. But that's essentially what that was for, Oh, they, they sent mailer after mailer. In fact, I've never seen so many mailers go out calling me a lobbyist. And, you know, I just didn't raise the kind of money. I think I raised 58000 They were spending like 300000 I don't know for sure. McGuire Properties gave them 120000 which is a whole other story. Um, so, yeah, that's what they were calling me, and they sent out mail Monday before the election, which I've never seen them do. I mean, they were just out to get me, and I still came in first. And so then we've got – so that happens in 06. Yes. Now we've got – you're running for mayor. They know you're running for mayor, mm -hmm. and we have Measure H come up. And yes. what is Measure H all about? Well, Measure H and was – And that was back in – and now we're still yes. behind here because that okay. was in June. But anyway, so, so let's Measure talk about H that. was, again, the lobbying ordinance, the ethics ordinance, but instead of them putting the entire ethics ordinance on the ballot – 
they were they put this it was very interesting and i i they um Instead of putting the entire ethics ordinance on the ballot, which was a normal thing to do, anytime you have an ordinance in the city or resolution, if you want to go out to ratification by the public, you put the whole thing on. But they pulled out this one section about a lobbyist. Okay, so I instantly my antennas go up. Uh oh, here she comes, awful lobbyist. They're going to create an issue, and they thought I'd vote against it, and I didn't because I had concluded after researching what the lobbyist ordinance actually was written and how it was spelled out, because um, I thought it included business consulting. Because I know at times some of the council members were talking about consulting, so that concerned me. But I, I supported it. In fact, I voted for it. Um, and and they, I think they were quite surprised about that. In fact, we raised about $45,000 promoting Measure H. just to let the, So I had an opportunity to tell the public, I am ethical. I don't believe using my office for personal gain. I am not a lobbyist. And to this day, no matter what I say, they still lie and call me a lobbyist. And I, find, I, I love this because <laughs> I kept these back in June. I have two of these uh, mailers. The first one is from Ed Ed Pope, uh-huh. who's the um, I think he's a retired, retired teacher, teacher, right? Teacher of the Year, 1984, mm-hmm. long time ago, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> I was only 10. And uh, I know <laughs> I won't say how old I'm I was. I'm sorry, I wasn't asking. <laughs> and um, and so he's talking about how you are a lobbyist and how you are unethical and not fit for office, right? And then I, I don't even know the man from I don't know who he is. The same day, though, the same day in this in my mailbox was. Council members Shea and Choi say yes on Measure H. It was kind of, <laughs> I had to laugh. I thought it was a perfect timing for both. And, yeah. Um, so, so now. So they, he, they were trying to create an issue that I would vote against, and they would attack me. And then when November came, they were trying to prove again that I'm a lobbyist and I shouldn't be in office. Right. So That's the only way they can get me out because I keep winning. Right. And so we've got these two previous um, where they create issues. Right. Now they've created this privacy ordinance. Mm-hmm. Where does this fit in? Because it seems to me that it's coming up right around the time that we're getting to them wanting to pick a CEO for the Great Park and not wanting people to know what they're doing. Well, it really is a secrecy ordinance. I and mean, as far as I can see, I, I, I never really understand their motivations, why they do these things. I always know it's focused on me. They try to create an issue so that they can send out mailers in November that you know that not only she's a lobbyist, shouldn't be in office, but of course, you know, she's unethical because she's using all these emails when there was a disclosure on, on the part of the website of the city that said that, you know, we would protect your emails. Well, I will tell you, a council member doesn't go into every email site in the city and read everything. I mean, there's too much for me to know or not know. You know what I mean? I, I, I focus on the major issues. I don't go through our websites. I don't think any of them knew it was on there. And all we needed to do was remove it. So um, consequently, um, I believe in open, transparent government. Under the leadership of Chairman Agrin and Mayor Crom, we've had more than a closed government. They hide. They love to hide uh, almost everything that uh, the public should know about. And now they've got this privacy. It's really a secrecy ordinance. I think Stephen Smith is very accurate in his Tatler, um, uh, www.irvinetatler.com. He talks about this. That is just one more step that they're trying to talk the public into believing we're going to protect your privacy and we're going to start closing things down, which justifies their ability to go behind closed doors and do more things in the secret, which they love to do. Right. And my big issue with this privacy ordinance is if we've had no instances of somebody using public information from Irvine maliciously, why are we... Except Larry. Yeah, except Larry. (laughs) But uh, somebody from the outside, we haven't had no pornographers uh, sending Viagra I know. know. (laughs) If you're just now joining us, uh, my guest today is Irvine City Councilwoman Christina Shea. She is currently going to be running, or she is running for mayor uh, for this term. In November, let's talk about your run for mayor. 
Um, what are some of your proposals uh, if you become mayor? Well, I think number one certainly is to get the Great Park um, back on track from a financial standpoint. I, I think that we need to, I would like to see an independent audit performed over there. We need to understand what can be done for a lot less money, uh, seeing that the money is starting to run out. I would like to, you know, be able to look at uses on the park, um, many that we have approved, that I do approve, an amphitheater and a, you know, water park and so on, but, and our sports park, but to really start to find ways that we can start integrating with the um, private sector to start moving and getting some of these um, designs starting to go forward. Um, also, I think um, the, the issue of the budget, I've always been a very fiscal conservative. Uh, we just balanced our budget with a $6 million shortfall. The council majority says, oh, it's not a shortfall. But when you don't have the, the right revenues matching your expenditures, it's a deficit budget. That's just what it is, and that's what we had. We used our um, reserves to balance the budget this year. But the way the economy is looking, the state you know, budget and the federal budget, of course, is just out of control. Uh, many local jurisdictions are coming to a point that that we're, we're having to really cut back, and that's what we need to do. We need to be streamlining our expenditures so we don't get into these huge deficits in the next three or four years. So that's something I want to look at doing. Um, for instance, what we're doing in the city that's very troublesome dealing with the budget, we have free shuttle rides. We have a shuttle uh, that the, we have the called iShuttle. Eye yes. I go over there. I watch it a lot. There's I almost no ever, one during the day riding it yes, at all. No, People are that. picked up from the train station, and they're taken down the IBC. But it's a shuttle that really goes along the linear um, far end of the city that goes to the business. And I have no problem supporting a shuttle. But it needs to be paid for by the private sector. If the businesses are bringing their employees in, they should be contributing hugely to the to the um, the I, cost I, I, of that. I do have a problem with the shuttle because we have the OCTA, and I yeah. really think that uh, we're, you know we're paying for the OCTA. Let's just stick with the OCTA. Let them do what. They I think they're in the bus business. I, I think the city should not be in the bus business. Mm -hmm. Well, I think this is going to prove out because, you know, when, like I said, when I look at it, there's almost nobody on there. But those are free shuttle rides now. The council loves to give everything away. We have give free balloon rides, yes, day rides, balloons. night rides. It costs us eight to $900,000 a year for the free balloon rides. Um, we have a proposal from Suki Kang that came through. It's like $200,000. That what we're doing now is that we're helping low-income families um, to fill out paperwork so that they can get reduced insurance or really low, almost no insurance for those people on low economic level. I support that, but the state of California offers this service. You have to go to Santa Ana. You fill out the paperwork. But that's not good enough for their universal health plan here in Irvine. Councilmember um, Suki Kang is spending $200,000 of your tax dollars to hire staff to go door to door and help people fill out their paperwork. Well, my argument is if you want free services and the state of California is offering this and it's coming from your pocket and my pocket, you should at least be able to get up and drive your car to Santa Ana and fill out the yes, paperwork yes. without having, you know, contracted staff go door to door helping you fill out paperwork like you, you know, don't have a brain in your head. I mean, most of us can fill out a form or two. So this is the problem that we see um, standard in our city is this continual free free, free. Well, nothing's free. And it was interesting at a council meeting, um, Mayor Crom was saying, well, Christina, you know, every, when I brought this up, everything's free. People in this city get free schools. They get free roads. They get free. Th and I said, are you kidding me? The mayor of the city's telling us that everyone that rides or, you know, drives on a road, it's free. You go to school, it's free. Of course it's not free. It's, it's your tax dollars paying for all these services. And we have to keep a handle on it. You know that I, being in real estate, 
The city of Irvine is coming to the top of some of the uh, more, most foreclosures we're starting to see um, through the county. And, um, and that's very concerning because we have people losing jobs, losing their homes. And this is a trend that we have to understand is going to affect our local economy. And so from that standpoint... Being a fiscal conservative, I think it's very important we have someone that isn't a big spendthrift, I mean a spender in the, in the, uh, in the mayor's position. And this is one of the questions that I, I want to start asking all of the um, politicos that come into my studio here. And that is, as a politician, as a city councilwoman, what are you doing to stay out of my life? I'd love to stay out of your life. I I would like everybody to stay out of my life, too. (laughs) Right, right. But you you know what I mean. What what are you doing to keep the government's footprint as small as possible on my existence? Well, you know, I think philosophically, as a Republican on the council, I believe in less government. I don't believe that the government should be providing free shuttle service to everybody. I don't think government should be providing... The opportunity to have um, staff members come out to your house and fill out your paperwork. Uh, we're giving out free light bulbs to everybody. We're getting them from Addison and others. Wh- but, where you do know, I get those? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. You know, I think that this is just a, a true philosophical difference we have between two Republicans on our council and three the three Democrats. Um, we've spent money on the democracy project and all kinds of things. Some of these things are very good, but do we really need them? No. I, I think that we need to really start tightening up our budget, making sure that we contract when times are tight, and uh, and run a very efficient government so that we're not having to go back and, and look to raise our taxes. I mean, what did they talk about the federal government? We're going to have to start taxing people when gas is four fifty a gallon. I mean, this is where you start seeing revolutions. People just can't take it anymore. And it's just not the time anyone should be looking at raising taxes. So what we need to do as a government entity is we've got to start cutting down and doing exactly what you say. I need to stop you know, getting involved in your life, provide essential services is really what your local government should do. Keep your streets taken care of, make sure your the lawns are cut, make sure our lights are working. Um, but all in all, we, we want to make sure we keep, um, no, we don't, we don't want any tax hikes locally. Um, we only have a few minutes left, and I, I'd like to um, ask what you think, um, kind of projecting out, four, five, six years from now, what do you think the real big issues for Irvine are that we need to um, keep track of and, and, and really tackle now? Well, obviously it's going to be the Great Park. I mean, that, that could be, um, you know, a wonderful plan if it's done properly and, and the amount of t- the, the time frame that we need to look at dealing with the revenues that we have and being very focused as a business entity of how to deal with that. The other issue is traffic control. I, I think that's probably number one on the radar screen for most people. I moved here in 1977, and the streets were so open, and, and I'm dating myself. Um, but, you know, traffic congestion is the number one problem that people are, people are concerned about. I believe that it is good to have more of a transit system throughout the city, but it's got to be cost-effective. It can't be free. I think OCTA certainly does provide that opportunity. I know that we're going to be approving Planning Area 40 coming up, and I've met with the Irvine Company, talked about this issue of the transit proposal. They're going to be looking at kind of an over, a complete oversight of this central part of the city. So, um, and of course, it's the fiscal impacts. I think in the next three to four years, what the housing market is going to do to our city, what those revenues, how those are going to be coming in, how we're going to be interfacing with the state where they may be cutting back on funds that we depend on to balance our budget. So I think it's an era that we have to be looking at 
a leadership that's fiscally focused, that aren't big spenders, that care about the community, as I think we all do, certainly all of us on the council do, but not being quite so innovative and exploratory, but much more conservative and, um, and careful and thoughtful about how we oversee the community. And finally, your, your run for mayor, how can people um, see what your positions are for mayor? Um, how can they get in touch with you? How can they donate to you if they want oh, to donate to you? That'd be great. Well, we have a new website. It's teamirvine.org. All right. T-E-A-M-Irvine.org. Um, and we're going to start doing um, a lot of ads. In fact, I think they're starting tonight. And we can go to that website. What, what, what and kind of ads? Uh, we're doing Cox Cable ads all on primetime TV. We're going to start doing that. And um, so, but we'll, well, you can go online to teamirvine.org and you can donate to all of our three candidates, which is Stephen Choi and Pat Rogers, who's a former a police lieutenant for the city of Irvine. He's running with me. He's a fiscal conservative. And so that will be, that's our website. And then from our web, that website, you can go to our individual websites. And I have shafermayor.com. But you can donate on the Team Irvine site because that's set up through PayPal. So that would be, that's great. And, of course, during the process of um, this election, there'll be all kinds of opportunities to get involved and volunteer, and we would really look forward to that support. Do you have any big fundraisers coming up or any uh, meet and um, greets? We have, we have a fundraiser coming up in July. I think it's going to be at... Um, um, it, July, wait a minute, we're in... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in uh, the end of August, okay, I'm going good. on vacation, yes. I apologize, yeah, July's yeah, no, gone, isn't it? <laughs> you're already on your vacation, right? That's okay. <laughs> no, it's in the end of August, but, you know, I can get back to that information, I, we just haven't identified the site right. right now. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, my guest today was Irvine City Councilwoman Christina Shea, she is running for mayor, we talked about a whole plethora of stuff, I will be uh, podcasting this after the fact, so uh, if there are listeners out there who did not catch the entire interview, you can go to my website, www.theocshow889.blogspot.com, and uh, you can uh, download it there, I'll have it up later on tonight and you all can see it then. Uh, I think that's going to be about it for today. Um, thank you again for coming in, oh, Christina. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. It's good to be again, here again. Yes, I think uh, this is like the third time now yes. that you've been here. Okay, mm-hmm. outstanding. Good. Well, always a good guest, keeping us uh, apprised of everything that is happening in Irvine today. Um, we do need to keep track of this stuff because it does affect all of us. Um, Coming up next week, just a regular show. We'll be talking about whatever's in the news. Uh, Don't forget, mark it on your calendars now. You don't ever want to forget this because it's a very important date. August 26th, uh, the new mayor, the fresh, or excuse me, not mayor. I've got mayor on my mind. The new fresh sheriff, uh, Sandra Hutchins, will be in studio to talk about her uh, new sheriff's department and how she's transforming the uh, OCSD into a model of ethics and um, happiness. So, uh, thanks again. This is KCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. I am your illustrious host, Cameron Jackson, and I will see you all next week.